Hello and welcome or welcome back to the Lost the Dressing Room podcast, episode number two. We've made it this far with myself, Adam Humphreys. Alongside me is the Chris Sutton to my Alan Shearer, Adam Solomon. Ad, how are you feeling? Episode two. Well, I'm not happy about the Chris Sutton comment that early, but there you go. Who would you, who would you rather? Oh, anyone. Daniel um, Sturridge to my Luis Suarez. Stuart Ripley probably would have been better, maybe. Stuart Ripley <laughs> to my Jason Wilcox. Blimey. <laughs> Obscure 90s reference. So if you're a first-time listener, or if you've listened before, thank you for tuning back into our inane and random ramblings. I mean, well-researched podcasts, of course, on the beautiful <laughs> game itself. If you want to support the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to us. We have an Instagram, which is Podcast. Please give us a follow. And if you've got any suggestions, suggestions for topics you want us to discuss in the future we do have an email address which is lost the dressing room podcast all one word at gmail.com drop us a line and we'll certainly give it some consideration last episode just as an aside we did briefly speak about darius vassell and his famous blister on his toe <laughs> yeah yeah if you can remember Ad. I, I can yeah this played on my mind quite a lot since we last <laughs> since we last discussed it so I actually did a little bit of research okay. on Darius and his famous blister. It turns out that he did in fact drill through his toenail in an attempt to pop the blister. <laughs> in bursting the blister, he actually picked up a blood infection in his toe and had to have his entire toenail removed and he had to end up missing a few games in the process. Who says football is a thick, eh? <laughs> Is that the strangest football injury? I, there's got, I think there was one... Didn't David James injure himself playing too much Super Nintendo once? Too much Super Nintendo? Yeah, I think he got like really bad cramp in his, in his foot, maybe. I think he had his foot in the same position for ages, and then he ended up missing games. What game do you reckon he was playing? Like uh, Mario Kart? Or? I don't know. It wasn't one where he was able to catch crosses. I don't know much. <laughs> shit at that. Calamity James. Also, as well, looking at Darius, he actually had 22 England caps as well, scoring, scoring six goals. 22? 22, with six goals as well. What? I don't know what's more surprising. He must have scored them all in one game. Yeah, probably against Liechtenstein. How does he get 22 caps? And he was playing for Villa at the time as well. Jesus, there must have been no one up front for England at that time. So that would have been when, like 2003, 2004, 2005 time, I'm guessing? So we'd just been knocked out of the World Cup in Japan and Korea. I mean, Sven did have his favourites though, didn't he, as well? Euro 2004, we were in um, Portugal, weren't we? That's the one when Ronaldo got Rooney sent off. I think that's the one. With that yeah. wink. The wink, the famous wink where Wayne Rooney introduced himself onto yeah. the uh, onto the European stage. The wink. <laughs> you should have you won that tournament, though. <sighs> Yeah, well, we could apply that to any tournament <laughs> ever since, really. But yeah, it never seemed to happen. But who's the most random England player that you can that you can think of? Uh, probably someone like David Batty, I'd imagine. Oh, of course. Yeah, he missed the penalty against Argentina, didn't he? Oh, I'll tell you another one. Uh, Mark Wright, who was a centre back at Liverpool for ages, oh. looked like he was about fifty <laughs> when he started playing football. Yeah. <laughs> He did. That's the thing. He was about 22 years old. He still looked 50, didn't yeah. he? Just looked like someone's dad had wandered out there. Was he alongside Neil Ruddock at centre yeah, back? Yeah, Razor Ruddock. Yeah, who was also massively overweight when he was playing, but still got a load of game. In fact, Mark Wright was on that um, that weird program with Neil Ruddock and That's Paul Merson right. with Harry Redknapp, where yeah. they were, yeah, where they did a Euros tournament, didn't that they? Was it, and they yeah. were trying to lose weight. At Paul the same Merson time. was the only one taking it seriously, and Ruddock just got hammered every night and then had an <laughs> argument with everyone. Him and, him and Merson had a big argument, if I remember right. Yeah, well, he was trying to help him out, wasn't he? That's and right. Mind you, he, he does chat some shit, Merson, so I'm not going to stick up for him too much. <laughs> and also, I remember that series as well featured, I believe, Michael Owen making his first ever cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
if, if, if Michael Owen should ever be remembered for anything, not the goals, not even the injuries, not even the inane comments that he makes as a pundit, mm. it should just be the fact that, well, number one, he's only ever seen eight films in his <laughs> yeah, life. I heard this, yeah. And he, but the, thing, the thing with that is, the films he's actually watched... I haven't got the list in front of me, but they're not actually bad films either. I think Cool Runnings is in there. There's there's a few other films, but yeah, there's not actually like a dud in there. Jurassic Park, I think, was one. No. And the second thing is that I, he's never had a hot drink. He's never had a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. It, he sounds like that kind of person who you would just imagine that's true as well. It's not even a joke. Like, <laughs> you just, wouldn't even question it. Would yeah, you? he's that odd. <laughs> Have you seen his um, his adverts out in Dubai? When he was pretending to fly that helicopter. Oh. God, it's terrible. <laughs> and then he um, he filmed another one for a, a whiskey commercial. Oh, no, is, I haven't seen that one. To, oh, it's, it's, I'll see if we can put the link to them two adverts on this podcast at the end. I bet he displays his usual um, flamboyant charisma. Oh, it's like a, a, a brick wall talking to an even bigger brick wall. <laughs> what about when um, that clip where he scored mean. a goal past that kid? <laughs> they were doing some type of TV series. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't Neville Southall say, oh, well done, you've just scored past a 12-year-old? <laughs> uh, uh, just absolutely mullered him with every shot, beat him like 10-0. <laughs> Oh no, I did hear before. Remember Oliver Kahn, the uh, Bayern Munich keeper? Yes. Who like used to attack his own teammates. Yeah. He um he went to some charity event once and there was like disadvantaged kids or something and it was like a penalty shootout and he saved every single penalty. Oh. And then someone put upon the um, hashtag elite mentality. <laughs> <laughs> Like flips them all off as well every time he saved it. Oh, his poor kids. Yep, he destroyed them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come at the Khan. <laughs> hell of a keeper, hell of a keeper. Oliver yeah. Khan. So where did we leave off last time? After a miserable 2003-2004 season, where Leeds were going through turmoil on and off the pitch, so they sold their best players, there was uncertainty within the boardroom, they finally succumbed to relegation, and as we talked about previously, this was a big deal, because at that <laughs> time, Leeds were arguably the biggest team in the Premier League even to get relegated. Oh yeah, definitely, 100%, you know, and, and the fact they'd had that amazing season that we talked about just before that, where they nearly got to the final with the Champions League, and they had big players on big money and uh yeah just a, like an absolute roller coaster of a season or a couple of seasons after that and and they're in the championship they just seemed to nosedive didn't they yeah. it wasn't even that gradual no no it was well it was just chaotic behind the scenes as, as as we mentioned and that that brought itself out onto the pitch unfortunately for Leeds so they had to settle for life in the championship so their relegation was confirmed under the stewardship of as you mentioned previously club legend Eddie Gray mm -hmm. and his successor which sounds like the wrong word to use, really. Using <laughs> the word success in there, because yeah, it's yeah, anything yeah. but really. But his unsuccessor, if you want to put it that way, <laughs> was a gentleman called Kevin Blackwell, mm. who served as Peter Reed's assistant and then Eddie Gray's assistant in that relegation season. And it's fair to say um, he had a hell, hell of a job on his hands. Yeah, definitely. I mean, th they were still paying players, as we mentioned as well previously, at the time that weren't even playing for Leeds anymore. We'll, as we'll hear shortly, um, even even more players left immediately after they got relegated and the, the club was on the floor, really, you know. There was uh, yeah. there was nowhere for them to go. No, you, you're spot on. And uh, so Leeds had to sell to balance the books. Are you ready for this list go of on, players? Go on, hit me with it. 
we're going to start with the with the greatest first, of course. So, friend of the podcast, Nick Barnby. <laughs> yeah. He was uh, Nick Barnby went to hell on a free transfer. At England's greatest ever right back, Danny Mills. Oh, of course, yeah. Went on a free to Manchester City. What a pundit he is as well. <laughs> the free kick maestro himself, Ian Hart. Oh yeah, he was went, good at free kicks. He was. He was taught David Beckham everything he knew. He knew. <laughs> He went on a free to Levante in Spain. You had Stephen McPhail. Can't really think of any adjective to describe him apart from he played for Leeds. He was, he was a, to be fair, he was a bit of a young up-and-comer, I think, at the yeah. time. He went on a free to Barnsley. They did have high hopes for him. Liverpool, Liverpool favourite Dominic Matteo went on a free to Blackburn. And then from there, you've got the spine of the team. You've got Paul Robinson going to Spurs for 2.7 million. Mark Viduka, 6 mm. million to Middlesbrough. Premier League legend James Milner, 6.6 million to Newcastle. And the biggest of all, I would say, Alan Smith, 8.10 million, went to a club he claimed he would never join, went to Manchester United. Yeah, um, after he did that big passionate speech and Leeds' club for me. And... Well, no, I think even diehard Leeds fans didn't have as much anger towards him that they did for Ferdinand because Alan Smith literally cried his eyes out when Leeds got relegated. And you could tell that. He was a Leeds man. And if you had the choice of going to a team that was potentially going to win the Premier League or playing, you know, Stoke and Wigan, it's not it's not that difficult a choice, really. Exactly. It's a short career. Yeah. And you want to be able to look back and see medals that you've won and played yeah. in Europe in the Champions League. And if they, I don't know at the time. I don't think there were loads of teams in after him. I think Man United were the main team. And even if there were a lot of teams after him, Man United were, well, they were top dogs at that time, yeah. weren't they? And, you know, and um, also the, the club got some much needed money and you just read off that list and how many of them went for free. You know, So that didn't even really benefit Leeds either. But at least they got a transfer fee for him. And at that time, eight million, that's... Uh, hell of a lot of money maybe not nowadays but yeah. uh, there was a long list of players that left obviously with relegation to the championship they couldn't shop at Waitrose anymore <laughs> they had to shop around the lower leagues and bring some young players through which as we had seen previously in their run to the Champions League it did prove beneficial for those couple of seasons with the they, the core of the team were, were very young so there was signs they you could put a positive spin on it yeah I think so um, um, more clubs should do that nowadays you know they, they spend thousands and thousands on their academies and then what happens every summer your club goes out and buys six um, players playing abroad and, and brings them over because they're already ready made players but you know Sometimes the best players in your club come from the academy. I, I think with when you look at a team like Spurs, they were signing players left, right and centre. They'd sold Bale. The one summer they brought in Roberto Soldado for, for mega money. He flopped. Yeah. But they had Harry Kane waiting there. He went on loan, but mm. he came back. Spurs gave him a chance in the Europa League. And what's, it, what's he worth now? Like you say, if you do look in your academies... <clears throat> There's a very good chance you could find you could unearth somebody. Didn't um, Kane go on loan to Leicester and he was there with Jamie Vardy at one point as well? Yes. Imagine them two up front. That's like a pub trivia question, that isn't yeah. it? Vardy and Kane on the same team. Because remember Vardy had that season where he scored in like 10, 11 games in a row. Yes. Like, when Leicester won the league. Although they did play um, with each other for England, didn't they, for a spell? Yeah. Although I guess England usually only play with one striker, don't they? And I don't think Vardy was ever ever going to be number one. Fardy was like a walking asbo, wasn't he? A diet of uh, cigarettes and Red Bull. Yeah. 
But he'd come from um, non-league to the Premier League, didn't he? And you could tell that. You can tell that just by the way he plays. He's just he's like a pit bull, isn't yeah. he? But he's so quick and uh, quite a late bloomer in terms of Premier League yeah. uh, Premier League goals. He's at Fleetwood, wasn't it? I remember watching a documentary on him, and um, he was working in a, a factory that made false legs. Oh wow! That's okay. what he used to do. False, yeah, false legs. Yeah, making plastic legs for people, and he went back there, and they were all laughing, and then he like um, chipped a football into a big bin that had a load of like, broken legs in it. <laughs> as, as you do. <laughs> And the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a great documentary that was. So going into the first championship season, Leeds had to make some signings to bridge the gap. They ended up signing Michael Gray on a loan from Blackburn. Marlon King, yeah. another loan signing from Nottingham Forest. So also Northern Ireland's top goal scorer, David Healy, who they signed for 2.48 million from Preston. Players there... Do have, who do have championship experience and Premier League experience as well, in yeah. Michael Gray's case. Solid sign-ins for that level. Yeah, and <laughs> it is um, impressive the transfer system at Leeds, even at this point when they're further down the league. And um, you know, th- th- those players have had careers after Leeds. You know, um, you, you recognise those names even nowadays. And it's, uh, it, it is crazy how many people have passed through Leeds. We spoke on the last episode, didn't we, about the players who've passed through, and it is uh, it is surprising when we're kind of doing this research and going through all the history and mm. the first 11s you could put together if some of these players stayed and they were part of like the same era. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get onto more of that as we go <laughs> go through future episodes. But going into the season before a ball was kicked, there was unrest in the boardroom with former Chelsea owner and chairman Ken Bates taking over the club. <laughs> what have you got any memories of Ken Bates? Just um, a bit of a disaster of a, of a chairman, really. One of the old school, like massive ego chairman. Um, you know, it was all about him. It was uh, Bates and was it Matthew Harding? Yes. It was at Chelsea before Harding died. And um, I think he might have had. Did he have something to do with Cardiff for a while? I don't know if he was something to do with Vincent Tan. Yeah, something like that. And then he that ended era. up at Leeds. And yeah, just. You know, it was just something that Leeds didn't really need at that point. <laughs> and, you know, they yeah. probably would have rather someone who was actually going to sort the club out rather than just boost their own profile. But unfortunately, Leeds, that's what happened. Well, as well as off the pitch, there being unrest, results on the pitch were very inconsistent. From the third match of the season onwards, they never rose above ninth. Best result of the season being a 6-1 home win over QPR on the 20th of November 2004. Worst defeat of the season, a 4-0 home loss to Yorkshire rivals rivals Sheffield United on the 5th of April 2005. Leeds finished the season in 14th place, (laughs) well short of even a sniff at a playoff place. Difficult to bounce back. Yeah, um, um, they're not alone in that to be fair. Championship League by then was probably two-thirds ex-Premier League teams. Um, Very competitive. Yeah, who just, uh, again, hadn't managed to, to get back up. There was only a few teams of that era, maybe like Norwich and Fulham, that seemed to go up and down like a yo-yo, but everybody else was, was struggling. And yeah, for Leeds, um, you know, with the, the, the amount of different playing staff they had, um, yeah. yeah, found themselves in there for yet another year. I think it all depends, doesn't it, what players you can keep, I suppose, when you go down with Leeds there. We've read off the list of who they had to get rid of and who they brought in. And, of course, they had to live within their means, so they couldn't replace like for like. They no. had to go shopping you know, elsewhere. But if you can keep hold of your better players, if you are more sound financially, like which is why I suppose Norwich's model works, in that they, they're prepared to go up, spend as little as possible, <laughs> hopefully... Yeah they can unearth some gems in the transfer market and they can stay up but if they do go back down you've got the parachute payments and then you can yeah. just go go straight back up in a, in theory 
I don't think you had them back then, did you? The no. payments certainly not like like now nowadays. You're talking like 140 million, aren't you? When, yeah. When you go down and all the things you can do with that, but I don't think it was anywhere near that back in the time when Leeds got relegated. No, and I think nowadays, as we speak currently in 2022, if you go down, like you say, the parachute payments they can sustain quite a few signings, and in the championship there is a higher. Cal- I think. I think going looking back on kind of where we are looking now in two thousand four, two thousand five into today, I think there is a higher caliber of player in the championship now, and there are a lot better teams. I think. I think you see that when you see the Premier League teams play the Championship teams in the cup competitions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think um, you'd say the lower end of the Premier League is probably not too far away in quality to the higher end of the Championship teams. Oh no, definitely not. No, um, yeah, uh, Championship teams are getting further in the in the league and the FA Cup now. So yeah, there aren't any any easy games in the championship. No. Well, going into the next season, so going into the 2005-2006 season, so the fans weren't exactly full of confidence. But after a year to get used to the hectic 46-game schedule of the championship, Leeds actually did fare a lot better. They finished in a way more respectable fifth place, which means a playoff place and the opportunity to get back into the promised land of the Premier League. But they came up just short losing to Watford in the playoff final 3-0 now uh, they say the playoffs is the best way to go up but if you lose then it's got to be hard to have to like prepare for another 46 games when they could have been back rubbing shoulders with the with the big boys of the Premier League oh, yeah definitely and I remember watching that playoff final as well because I, I normally watch them all because they're interesting games and Watford just battered Leeds Leeds were never really in that game um, and there they are again, like you said, it's almost like you've wasted a whole season then because of the the pain and almost like you've been relegated all over again. I think 3-0 as well. Usually with finals, they, especially playoff finals, with so much riding on them, they're quite tight and tense affairs. But like you said, Watford battered Leeds mm. and yeah, Leeds couldn't really put up much of a fight. And you have to think going into the next season now if players would stay there or would they want to try their luck elsewhere? <laughs> yeah. Going into 2006 and 2007, any fans who had any hope that Leeds would maybe maybe kick on after the disappointment of the playoff final, they were brought crashing down to earth when Kevin Blackwell was relieved of his duties on the 20th of September 2006 with Leeds in 23rd place after eight games. As the first managerial casualty in the post-Premier League era Leeds, how would you sum up Blackwell's reign there from what you've heard? It seems bizarre to me that they got rid of him when he was having his best season with what he had to work with. But then, you know, Leeds as a club at that time were just one car crash after another. And I suppose it's no real surprise um, as we were here going forward. We we might have to keep an actual count of the number of managers. A little bit of foreshadowing, but he won't be the last one to, to bite the dust at Ellen Road. And yeah, there is, there is a high number, higher than you'll probably have thought. <laughs> So yeah, I might I might keep a little count and we'll go over at the end how many there were. He actually lasted quite a while in terms of management mm. of the team that will again we will get into further down the line. <laughs> but yeah, so Blackwell he didn't he served the club as well as he could, almost getting back into the Premier League, falling short at the final hurdle. You would think, based on kind of what we've said there and where he left Leeds, twenty third in the table, that he was sacked because of poor results. But it was actually under gross misconduct that he was sacked, apparently for negative comments made in the press about the club's finances, which in turn, Blackwell launched legal proceedings against Ken Bates (laughs) 
as a result of the comments made by the Leeds owner in an interview with The Sun. So very tit for tat and I think it shows how far Leeds have fallen at this time. Wow, I've never heard that before. Especially if Leeds' finances were shite at that time, then if he's only if all he's done is point them out, how can they justify sacking him? So I, that's probably why he's started a lawsuit, I would imagine. But that's just bizarre, isn't it? You, yeah. you, you as a fan you'd rather he like, you know, got his cock out in <laughs> one of the AGMs and right in front of the, the the chairman and you know there was an actual reason why he got binned off but to get binned off for criticising it's almost like um, some kind of like North Korean football club isn't it you know yeah. you, you can't say anything about the glorious leader otherwise uh, you get executed very thin skinned and I well I think based on what you said there about getting his cock out I think based on what we're going to hear later on that probably would be quite a, um, a low-key way of, uh, <laughs> of dealing with the media really when uh, we go into some of the stories later on yeah. September the 21st 2006 Leeds are in their time of need Kevin Blackwell he's gone Leeds have turned to the best coach in the world well the self-proclaimed best coach in the world yes the next manager stated this in May 2015. A direct quote, I still think I'm the best coach in the Premier League. This, Despite having led Newcastle to nine points from a possible 48 points. That man being the legend that is John Carver. Yeah, I can't remember too much about him, to be honest. Certainly not him being what I would consider the best coach in the Premier League. He's a very angry looking looking bloke as well. Just like all the time, he just like he wanted just to punch a, punch a kid in the face. <sighs> I don't even know what he's doing now. He probably works in Quicksave or something. I think he did go and manage in the States. Like, oh, wow. Vancouver. <laughs> Do you know what? I think, you know, Jermaine Defoe went to Toronto. Yeah. Toronto FC. I think he was the manager. <laughs> I think he was the manager. So I think uh, news of his uh, time at Newcastle didn't spread over the pond. No. Um, wow. John Carver. God, just, I mean, Leeds fans must be pulling their hair out at this point. I think they've, they've, they've gone to Blackwell, who had been at the club for a little while. John Carver, he was doing work in the reserve team at the time. It's on a caretaker basis, so give him a chance. And Carver actually did win his first game in charge, which was a 3-2 win at home against Birmingham. But a series of losses culminating in a 5-1 loss to Luton Town meant he was put in the bin after five games. <laughs> It's hard to kind of, as we're going through this, again, slight spoilers, when there's such a turnover in terms of managers, coaches, etc., it's hard to find a different way of saying fired and sacked. So you kind of have to, I had a thesaurus with me, you know, during this, to kind of just find different ways of saying it. In the bin. In the bin. I like that one. Yeah. Next manager, another, another huge name in the game, David Geddes, who was actually the reserve team manager at the time. He was put in caretaker charge on the 23rd of October, 2006. His only match in charge being a 3-1 League Cup defeat to Southend United. Now, this game, notable for the soon-to-be next permanent manager having an input on the team selection, that being Dennis Wise. He was, I don't know, he was like some yuppie, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was like a little ankle biter. But like a a shit yuppie, like like an actual Del Boy, (laughs) you know. He he would get out there on the football pitch and put it about, but... I hated him. I thought he was an absolute shithouse. Wise and his assistant, former Premier League midfielder Gus Poyet, 
were prized away from Swindon Town, officially being appointed on the 24th of October 2006. In a press conference, unveiling Dirty Den to the media, he said <laughs> he believed it did not matter that he formally played for Chelsea. In the interview, he stated that his aim was to bring Leeds back into the Premiership. Wise took over with the club second from bottom of the Championship and in a difficult financial position. Upbeat, positive words that you want to hear from the new man in charge? Yeah, but... I can't remember what his record was like at Swindon, but I, I don't. The fact I can't remember it probably tells me it wasn't great. And then to end up at Leeds as the manager, like what the fuck? It must have been that Chelsea connection with Bates, and that's all I can think as to why you would hire Dennis Wise at that time to be Leeds manager. Well, they wanted him for a while. He was, him and Poyet were doing good things at Swindon, and it was quite a, a tussle, a tug of war in terms of getting him. There was disagreements regarding payoffs, you know, the usual. But eventually, they did get their man to the media. In the press conference, at beat positive words. He was looking to get Leeds back in the big time. Relegation to League One was confirmed on the fourth of May two thousand and seven, <laughs> with only said that immediately <laughs> afterwards. As soon as he steps in, relegation is confirmed. Never mind, Ben. Well, you know, he got them back into 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 League One, so maybe he just got <laughs> yeah. confused and thought that was the top. That was yeah, the top yeah, league yeah. number one. <laughs> But ultimately, they were relegated, not on the pitch. Well, it was ultimately on the pitch, really. But it was because of, because with one game remaining, Leeds were given a 10-point penalty for going into voluntary administration. So Leeds finished that season bottom of the league and they were relegated to League One for the first time in their history. Nonetheless, Chairman Ken Bates retained Wise for the 07-08 season. I think kind of the theory for going into voluntary administration at this time was that Leeds were pretty much relegated anyway. They had They were three points behind Hull with a negative nine goal difference going into the last game of the season. So pretty much their thinking was, if they if they took the points deduction now, it wouldn't really matter. They've already been relegated. They could start League One next season afresh and give it a good go. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Although anybody that finishes three points behind Hull deserves to be relegated <laughs> anyway. Leeds had definitely fallen on hard times and they were definitely now a lower league club. They weren't seen as like a Premier League club oh, who no. were just slumming it in the championship. They were, well, they were now a League One club, but yeah, there was definitely a long road ahead. They were in real, real trouble at that point. And yeah, going from a Champions League semi-final and competing at the top of the Premier League to League One. And only five years had passed as well from those heady days (laughs) of getting into the Champions League semi-final. So they had a hell of a fall from grace and they invested so much into getting back into the Champions League and being regulars in the Champions League and the money that that would bring. Yeah. Yeah. one se- the one season where they didn't make it into the Champions League it took a toll on their finances they had to sell their best players as we spoke about in episode one give it a listen <laughs> and yeah so that's, that's where they find themselves now incredible in pre-season however the club were hit with a further 15 point deduction this was for exiting administration without a CVA so a CVA for anyone who doesn't know so that's a company voluntary arrangement So that's a formal repayment plan enabling insolvent companies to repay their unaffordable debts over a period of five years. 
See, I told you I'd do a little bit of research for this podcast. Like a financial podcast as well. Just it? don't ask me any. Don't ask me anything else than what yeah. those what those words mean. Hedge funds and shit. <laughs> GoFundMe's and all that. The fact they didn't provide this CVA meant they were punished further with that further fifteen point deduction. So they started that season <laughs> minus fifteen points. So add if you were a Leeds fan at this time, what what are your thoughts? Well, you. Do. It's got to be close to just throwing in the the towel, hasn't it? I mean, you you know, Leeds are one of the historic clubs in the in, like the, the the team of the sixties. You know, Billy Bremner, Dom Revy, Jack Charlton, all all those guys, and you know, they were they were competing at the at the top top table at that time. And you know, their their manager left to become the England manager, and then you had the whole Brian Clough affair and that. And they were always in and around the, the top titles, you yeah. know, and well, to go from that to, to this mess, minus 15 points, League One, Dennis Wise is your manager, Kent Bates is a chairman, <laughs> the club's finances are all over the place, like what the hell is going on there? They don't really have any players they can sell on for much no. of a profit either. Well, they're, they're still paying other players, they're not even playing for them. Things are looking, even saying pretty grim, is, is optimistic <laughs> at this point. <laughs> However... The team won their first seven games of the League One campaign in Holy 2007. Moly. Dennis so, Wise. In Wise We Trust. And so they effective, effectively eliminated the 15 point deduction after just five games. Yeah. On the 28th of January 2008, however, with Leeds fifth in League One, Dennis Wise left Leeds to take up a role at Newcastle as executive director. As a Newcastle fan, this is a period in the club's history where we were turned into a basket case of a club you were trying to outdo Leeds we were trying to outdo Leeds we were the laughing stock of the North East and that's saying something when your direct rivals are Sunderland <laughs> the Cockney Mafia as, as yeah, they were known as you had it, Dennis yeah. Wise you had Joe Kinnear yep. and you had him mispronouncing players names in interviews you just had odd tactics and lineups. we were a laughing stock at that time so I don't have fond memories of this time with Dennis Wise coming in yeah I mean if I'm on LinkedIn as a football chairman and I put a job out for executive director I can't imagine I'm going to spend too much time on Dennis Wise's page at that point you know I don't think he what has he ever done to get into that role anyway and why was he there that's what everybody just kept saying and the, I remember the Newcastle fans went mad Joe Kinnear came in mispronouncing all the foreign players names because he was batshit crazy well, what did he call it was Inzog BA called Insomnia yeah Yoan Kebab Kebab it was Yoan Kebai oh yeah it, it, um, was, it was embarrassing didn't he wasn't he the, the manager at the time when he said oh I, I've scouted this guy and he looks really good and then it turned out Newcastle had him loaned out to another club <laughs> I don't remember that he actually was block that out yeah he was actually one of his players <laughs> and he came in all proud one day that he discovered this player and he had to be reminded oh, yeah we actually own him we did he can... just make an offer to the club as well that he was loaned to probably yeah. Were, yeah we'll, we'll take time million <laughs> so at this time Leeds needed a new manager so they turned to a club legend Gary McAllister mm. who was appointed manager on the 29th of January 2008 until the end of the season at the end of that season McAllister and Leeds qualified for the playoffs in sixth place again though more playoff final heartbreak losing 1-0 to Doncaster in the final the playoff final of the 07-08 season Bad luck in playoffs. Yeah, again, you know, just when you think something's going to go right for this club at this time, and then fair play, bringing in Gary McAllister, won the league with Leeds back in 1991, was it? 92? Yes, yeah. Um, you know, and like you said, you can't get much more of a club legend 
then then someone like Gary McAllister at that time and gets them to a playoff final and they lose again. And McAllister's a club legend, isn't he? So the fans are on board yeah. as well. Things were looking up. I mean, yeah. all right, Wise has left, but fifth in League One, if you can get up to the championship, you can uh, you could rebuild from there and just consolidate yourself as yeah. a championship team for a few seasons. But again, it's just deflating, isn't it? <laughs> along so forty six games is a long old season, then an extra three games. Yeah. And then it's back to it all again. Uh, and then they'll probably be thinking the last time they lost the playoff final, a season later they got relegated. So, precisely. You know, what the heck's going to happen next season now? The 08 09 season. So, despite originally being appointed until the end of the 07 08 season, Bates kept Gary Mack on. The Maxter was eventually sacked on the 21st of December 2008 after a string of poor results including an FA Cup defeat to non-league Histon. Notably, in the start, starting lineup for Leeds that day was a young Fabian Delph and Robert Snodgrass. Yeah, both uh, both went on to have Premier League careers. Um, I think Delph was at Man City at one point, wasn't it? Delph was, yes, he was. He went to Villa, then he went to Man City. One of them random signings they made along with Jack Rodwell. Do you remember that? Oh, Rodwell. God, yeah. he, 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 his career took a nosedive, didn't it? God, the older was like, oh, here's, here's the next David Beckham. I have already seen it. I can predict it. As long as the camera is on me. <laughs> and then he went to, um, he was at Sunderland then. And I... Who, Guardiola? Bloody hell. <laughs> I would love to see yeah, him at Sunderland. Yeah. Fucking get them out of that league. See how you do there. We need to get Guardiola and Klopp and all these big name managers just at Sunderland, Leighton Orient, all those type of level of teams with no money and just see how they get on. I reckon Klopp would, would be all right, you know. Um, but Guardiola, he's just a checkbook manager, isn't he? Oh, at the end of the day. controversial. I think he is. He's everywhere he's been. Yeah. Bayern Munich. Me and you could win the league at Bayern Munich. Very true. And he also inherited Messi, Lionel Messi at Barcelona. Yeah. So. And then he goes to City and he's like, oh, I can't possibly compete. And then buys 67 left-backs in the same transfer <laughs> window. Well, they, did, and they ended up playing Delft at left-back and Zinchenko, both central midfielders by trade. But of course, Guardiola, Guardiola does have a, have a habit of liking to overcomplicate things. Yeah, we'll just... Buying things, that's all he, that's all he does. <laughs> yeah, buys and puts them away in the cupboard. <laughs> Never to be seen from again until the League Cup. <laughs> yeah. At this point, though, Leeds were ninth in League One. Next up in the hot seat was Simon Grayson. He had a bit of a journeyman career as a fullback in the Premier League as a player. And he was previously manager at Blackpool. Had a solid if unspectacular run there. So he was appointed on the 23rd of December 2008. Grayson came in, he actually did quite well. He won the final 11 home matches of the 08-09 season, finishing fifth, which meant once again the playoffs. But this time, no more heartbreak in finals. No way. It was the semi-finals they lost this time. (laughs) (laughs) So cruel. (laughs) They lost to Millwall, they lost to Millwall in the semi-finals, 2-1 on aggregate over two legs. (laughs) Sorry, Leeds fans. I'm sure you've probably heard about that result by now, though. So <laughs> I can't imagine any Leeds fans listening to this going, hang on, what, what we, 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 I can't remember us going up that year. Well, well, you didn't. So. That was such a burn. I was really like... You were in, proper invested there. Yeah, I was. I was thinking, yes, they've done it. This is the time. <laughs> Simon Grayson. No, you just kicked him in the nuts all over again. Being a Newcastle fan, I feel like I have to do this to other teams because we've. I've had so much of it over the years being kicked in the teeth. <laughs> Part of my main reason for doing this podcast is just to look upon other teams and kind of revel in their disappointments and their, their glorious failures. So Leeds is the perfect club, really. To oh, do yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. There wasn't a great... 
love for Leeds outside of Leeds, really, because they had that tag of dirty Leeds that, yeah, a few of us probably did revel in their misery during this time. <laughs> the 2009-2010 season. They actually started the season really well. Entering 2010, top of the league. Also on the 3rd of January in the FA Cup, they defeated Premier League powerhouses Manchester United in the third round of the cup at Old Trafford with Jermaine Beckford scoring the winner yeah Jermaine future ITV commentator one of your favourites yeah it was a good goal now I remember watching it he kind of slid it under I think De Gea was the, was the keeper then as well and he kind of steered it away from him and yeah that was a huge victory for Leeds especially you know they've been slagged off for so long in the, in the North West because of the whole Lancashire-Yorkshire rivalry and to go to to the theatre of uh, dreams, Nicker winning in the FA Cup was was amazing. And if you were a Leeds fan, after after years and years of just disappointments and failures, they probably deserved that that result. Really, yeah. And they they worked really hard for it as well. You know, to be fair. And Man United at the time had just come off winning the league, I believe, the previous season. So they were they were. They were at the <laughs> just you just assume so. Yeah. You? So they were at the peak of their powers. So it was a strong Man United team they beat as well. Back to the league. Back to the bread and butter. So Leeds survived losing four league games in a row between the 13th of March and the 3rd of April 2010 to finish the season second and gain automatic promotion to the Championship, sealing promotion on the 8th of May 2010. They were never going to get promotion to the playoffs, though. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> no, they they had to go. All in or, or nothing, yeah. Well, Leeds had come up in the first season back of English football second tier, the championship. Leeds finished seventh, so narrowly missing out on the playoffs. So they were actually occupying the final playoff position with three games left, but ultimately couldn't hold on. So not a bad return to the championship there, not a bad first year. No, it's one of those, isn't it? Um, you see it in the Premier League as well. When a team comes up, nobody really knows about them or how they're going to play. So you do have that one season of grace sometimes where you can surprise a few teams well, going on to the next season 2011-2012 an inconsistent start to the campaign on the 2nd of February Grayson was gone following a 4-1 loss to Birmingham leaving Leeds in ninth position in the table seems a little bit harsh yeah I think it's just something that they'd started to do by then you know oh we've still got the same manager we can't have that just bin him off I know, he lasted a bit too long, didn't he, Grayson? He's getting a bit <laughs> yeah. too comfortable. Yeah, who do you think you are? Long-term plan? No, nope, you're out. <laughs> I think on the desk in his office, he probably put a picture of his family up on the table and then Ken Bates saw yeah. it. Yeah, that's Wasn't it. Wasn't having that, yeah. He, he's gone. Ken Bates' family kicked him out. He won't see anyone else happy. <laughs> <laughs> so taking over from Grayson on a caretaker basis was Neil Redfern, who was ingrained <laughs> in the club in the reserve team as the manager there. But he actually won his first game 3-0 against Bristol City. But two wins and two defeats followed to then be replaced on a permanent basis by Sheffield's favourite son, Neil Warnock. (laughs) And uh, he's called Colin, as he's known. Yeah, Colin, I believe it's because if you take the letters out of his name that spell wanker, then the letters left over spell Colin. (laughs) So he was known as Colin Wanker. He um, he loves it though, doesn't he? Yeah, he did. He had to get it explained to him one time because I think it was Wednesday fans that were just chanting it. Calling him Colin over and over and over, and um, yeah, he had to get it explained to him. That's that's what it was for. And then he, yeah, he actually brings it up now. He's like, you know what, you know what they call me, Colin, don't you? 
and just fucking loves it. Like so, yeah, fair play to. Him. Although bringing in Warnock at that time, I suppose quite shrewd, very experienced in the championship, notably with Sheffield United. So he could probably fight. He probably had contacts as well, so he could bring in some decent plays at that level. Yeah, he had a cracking record of promotion as well. I think. Yeah, uh, throughout most of his career. Unfortunately, things didn't improve under Warnock. As they finished the season in 14th place. Going into the next season, if you're keeping up at home, we are in the 2012-2013 season. So that summer, Legion Knight did, they needed to make some signings. One signing in particular that Warnock made was a man he described as lower than a sewer rat. So not not, <laughs> not even a sewer rat. Not, didn't even call him a sewer rat, which is bad enough. Lower than a sewer rat. What is lower than a sewer rat? A cockroach, a swamp cockroach. You're like a discarded condom at the bottom of the sewer <laughs> is lower than a discarded condom at the bottom of the sewer <laughs> if you're wondering at home who this player we're referring to is it is former Liverpool legend yeah. El Hadji Diouf and that sound there Adam I'm assuming you've got great memories of yeah, uh, I, El Hadji I remember Diouf. going to his debut at Anfield funnily enough um, I think we played Villa and he scored twice on his debut. He'd just come off the back of um, kind of tearing it up in a World Cup with Senegal, who nobody's ever heard of since as a team. But, <laughs> oh, he, um, was, he was fantastic in that opening game of the 2002 World Cup yeah, against they, France. Yeah, they beat France, didn't they? France had won like, yes. the World Cup and the Euros and then went into the next tournament and didn't score a goal. That was such a shock when they eliminated. beat France. Yeah, and then... Like I said, he scored those two goals, and then after that, it was just well, it was just he had such a massive ego, and I think it culminated in him spitting at a Celtic fan when we played up at Parkhead for a, a, a Waffa Cup game yeah. one year, and then he, like even people at Liverpool were then like, yeah, okay, you can go now. He was definitely a misfire in terms of uh, a Liverpool signing. Oh, garbage. In terms of Warnock describing. Diouf as lower than a sewer rat. So Warnock described Diouf as such in 2011, as he was QPR manager at the time, and this was after Diouf's reaction to Jamie Mackey's double leg break during an FA Cup tie. But as we've mentioned, Warnock promptly signed Diouf in <laughs> August 2012, quoting, we have no money at the moment, so he won't be retiring on the wages we can offer, but he is available on a Bosman transfer and he has genuine quality. He has always been a wild card, and we've had our moments in the past, but I met him at a function a few weeks ago. I told him what I disliked about him and how I felt he could improve, and it was a good conversation. I also spoke to a few people who know him well, and they told me how good he is in the dressing room. What function do you think that was that they were both <laughs> attending, just going back there? It must have been something... I want to think it was like a really Yorkshire function. Dragon, dragon. Yeah, like... Best whippets of the northeast, and he's there. And El Hadji Juve turned up in a flat cap, and he's actually got like a real affinity for it. And he, he went straight over to Colin, and um, they had a good chinwag about it. And he was saying to his mates, like, Ah, oh, that's a lad I called lower than sewer rat before, but he's a good lad, not so bad. He is, I've signed him on Bosman. <laughs> Well, despite signing this megastar, do you, do you actually, well, if you're interested to know his record at Leeds, Diouf actually scored five goals in 40 games. That's 4-0, four five in 4-0 games. Wow. Our Colin, he was sacked on the 1st of April 2013. This was with Leeds sitting five points away from the relegation zone. Colin, he couldn't, he couldn't work up a miracle and get Leeds back up. No, and, you know, I think that one hurting the most because he was so Yorkshire Neil Warner. Leeds are like the probably the biggest team in Yorkshire oh. even to this day I'd say and um, 
yeah, to get binned off by them. I'm sure, you know, he wasn't happy with the fact he couldn't really spend any money at the time. Yeah, I mean, he's always been a championship manager, really, Warnock. I don't think he's ever done that well higher than that. And I think Leeds, always, there's always that expect, expectation with Leeds, is that if you're not challenging for the playoffs, even if you're kind of mid-table solidarity, <laughs> then I think your job is always going to be under threat because they want to get back into the Premiership and they still see themselves as a massive club. Yeah. Well, if you're at a club like, say, Doncaster, you could survive in the Championship. Yeah. Just no one's going to be that fast. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, Leeds did have higher ambitions, and um, I'm still keeping. I, I think I'm up, up to date with how many managers it's been. How I'm many? Keeping count in my head. I've done. I've done a lot of the research on this, and I've lost count. So you might have to kind of fill in the gaps where I'm I've... sure. I'm sure if I'm right, it's already up to seven or eight. Seven or eight. Okay. Well, another brief caretaker ring by our, our pal Neil Redfern <laughs> on the 2nd of April 2013 lasting until the 11th of April 2013 was then replaced by Brian McDermott on the 12th of April 2013 by coincidence the head coach of the rugby league team Leeds Rhinos was also named Brian McDermott I wonder if, if they meant to get him you'd have to, you'd have to <laughs> wonder can't. didn't you and yeah they were thinking oh he's, he's doing good stuff with you know rugby league up there let's get that guy and then this bald guy with the same name just turns up <laughs> one of the guys in the boardroom said go and have a chat with Brian McDermott yeah. to see what we're doing wrong and instead of going to the Leeds Rhinos coach he's just yeah. gone to Brian McDermott yeah, and he was ended like, up hiring him yeah he worked in American golf as like <laughs> chief fairway advisor and then they, they they brought him in and then because everyone at Leeds was so used to there being a different manager every week they just thought yeah it seems about right <laughs> give him quite, a go didn't even question it no McDermott, he had a decent pedigree. He'd been at Reading. He got and then promoted into the Premier League previously. So he he wasn't a mug. So Leeds ended that particular season, so the 2012-2013 season, in 13th place. So going into the 2013-2014 season, under McDermott, Leeds rose to fifth in the championship, but a sharp loss of form saw them go through a five-match losing streak. So this was going from late December into January 2014, and this included a 6-0 loss to Sheffield Wednesday, which saw Leeds drop to 12th. Going into 2014, Leeds are plodding along as a mid-table championship team. They change their manager once in a while, but at this moment in time, things are quite non-discreet. But in January 2014, things take a bit of a turn. We start getting into dramas, <laughs> quite fun things to research if I'm honest. Mm. A gentleman named Massimo Cellino. In January 2004, it was rumoured that Leeds would be subject to a takeover by Italian entrepreneur and Cagliari owner Massimo Cellino. On the 28th of January, it was reported that Cellino had asked his associate Gianluca Festa, does that name ring any bells to you? Yeah, wasn't he at Middlesbrough? Yes. Yeah. He was. During that season, they were relegated and they had Ravinelli in the team. I remember watching uh, one of them random spin off bits in Sky Sports News when Gianluca Festa and Marco Branca, and they went to some kind of Middlesbrough kebab shop <laughs> because they'd only just signed. And they're obviously used to eating like high cuisine <laughs> pasta and meals and, you know, al dente this, and then they made him eat this fried bollocks that. <laughs> 
that like everybody in Middlesbrough would eat and yeah I don't I think they get like one bite of it and then wanted like the, the little video thing to end so they could just chuck it in the bin so Fester was sat in the dugout for Leeds 1-1 draw with Ipswich but on the 31st of January it was reported that McDermott had been sacked with the aforementioned Fester rumoured to be his replacement the following day reports emerged that suggested that Gulf Finance House so the club directors at the time were attempting to reinstate McDermott as the manager stating that the Chilino family had no authority to dismiss him from the role. <laughs> Things are just going along nice and steady, normally at Leeds at this time. Yeah, this guy, Chilino, is is unbelievable. He's I, I I kind of like him in a weird way, you know, I got some kind of odd respect for him because he's so insane. Insane is the word. He was known as the manager eater <laughs> at Cagliari. What a name! <laughs> The manager eater. And yeah, Cagri had done fuck all in Serie A as well. So it wasn't like he was like upsetting the apple cart over there and taking on Juventus anytime soon. But he had such a massive ego and the, the stuff he ends up doing is just so funny. And this is taken over from Ken Bates as well. <laughs> so this is out of the frying pan into yeah. the fire. Oh, he was way more interested in Ken Bates. Well, actually out of the frying pan into the volcano. Yeah. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was absolutely crazy. Some of the things that were going on at boardroom level. I mean, they were in the championship at this time but yeah honestly absolutely crazy (laughs) on the 1st of February 2014 Nigel Gibbs was put in charge as caretaker manager for Leeds match against Huddersfield which Leeds won 5-1 following the match Leeds released an official statement saying that Brian McDermott had not been sacked On the 3rd of February 2014, McDermott officially returned to the club and carried out first team training. In a press conference, McDermott stated that the fan support for him during Leeds 5-1 win over Huddersfield convinced him to come back, despite the uncertainty surrounding the club. In the same press conference, McDermott said that rumoured new head coach Gianluca Festa had changed the starting lineup that McDermott had originally selected for the Huddersfield match, only to be changed back by caretaker manager Nigel Gibbs. <laughs> Well, first, who the fuck is Nigel Gibbs? I never even heard of that guy. He, he was already on. He was part of the reserve team setup. Oh, he was part right. of the coaching team. Kind of like behind the scenes guy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, just, it's just <laughs> this whole period of Leeds, just when you think all the insane craziness mess that's gone before is, is coming to an end and you're, re- you're reaching like the light at the end of the tunnel and then it's just 10 more tunnels. It's just unbelievable. Well, doing the research for this now, I mean, while we're doing this podcast, obviously I want to cover a lot of what's going on on the pitch. Mm. The players signed, the players sold, things like that. But I mean, while doing these notes, this podcast, it would probably come in at about three days if I was to yeah. go into kind of so much depth, in depth. But the great stuff is off is off the pitch, oh, really. Yeah, this is one of those times when literally the, the, the less football you talk about, <laughs> the funnier it is because the football was largely like not even relevant. The football was just inconsequential. Yeah. A sideshow. <laughs> By the way, oh, playing, we're playing football on Saturday. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're a football <laughs> yeah, club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> Who's the manager? Oh, it could be anyone. <laughs> Julie from accounts give her a game <laughs> so in that same press conference McDermott went on to say that on the 3rd of February Fester was still present at training however this time acting as a translator for new signing Andrea Tabanelli <laughs> Fester's Italian Tabanelli's Italian Tabanelli <laughs> do you not recognise that name like that... when you buy Ravenelli on Wish <laughs> you can't quite get the shit over his head when he's celebrating <laughs> yeah <laughs> Tabanelli <laughs> Jesus. Fester's 
been in England for quite a while. His English is good. Tabanelli, coming from Italy. English, if he can speak any English at all, he's got Festa with him to translate. That's <laughs> relatively normal, right? That's quite day. I, I, can, I can see the logic in that. So you'd think, okay, well, we'll move on from there. But there's a little bit more on Andrea Tabanelli that I, that I found through my research. So Tabanelli, he was signed in the window between Brian McDermott's sacking, quote-unquote, and reinstatement. So McDermott revealed in an interview that this transfer was under scrutiny by the Football League to see if the players signing would be sanctioned. But on the 7th of February 2014, it was released that Tabanelli's transfer to Leeds had been cancelled as it did not comply with the Football League's regulations and he returned to Cagliari. What? <laughs> like, how, could, how did he even sign... How did that even get over the, get over the line again in inverted commas? Yeah, and what the fuck is Festa doing there as well? Just literally, imagine if you worked in an office or some dude just walked in and then you actually noticed him and said, "Does anyone know where that is?" Oh, he's um, he's here to check the the limits of coffee that we use each week. Don't worry about it. And then just all of a sudden he's gone again, and then he like brings in another employee. <laughs> that you think oh great he's brought this guy in but then you're not allowed to have that employee so he leaves again but the first guy's still there imagine Tabanelli going back to Cagliari as well <laughs> <laughs> it's just a just a joke at this point the, the whole club is just hilarious but then I suppose Cellino did own Cagliari as well at that time yeah. so I, I don't know if there was some he just thought he could just if like Cagliari or Leeds were some type of B team and he could just like play his oh, back and forth yeah. as we'll learn very shortly the laws of the land don't really apply <laughs> to Cellino yeah that's what it went <laughs> so the same day the 7th of February 2014 Leeds had announced that they had exchanged contracts for the sale of Leeds to Cellino's family consortium Eleonora Sports Limited the deal saw the Cellino family acquire 75% of the club, subject to Football League approval. The Football League rejected the proposal on the 24th of March 2014, with the reason being that Cellino failed the owner's test. <laughs> so Cellino's response was to exercise his right to appeal the Football League's decision. The appeal was shared on the 31st of March 2014 by an independent QC, and on the 5th of April 2014, the decision was overturned as Cellino's <laughs> recent conviction did not involve conduct that would reasonably be considered to be dishonest based on information available to him at the time. Gulf Finance House retained a 10% stake in the club with minority shareholders holding 25%. I wanted to kind of put in some football stuff like in between this, but I mean, it's just so difficult because just reading over this, no wonder Leeds were in a state. You need some stability at management level, at board level. Because they always say, don't they, whenever like a manager is at risk of losing his job, they always ask the players, don't they, is that affecting your performance on the pitch, the manager's mm. uncertainty? But I mean, reading this stuff in the newspapers, you'll probably be on the phone to your agent just trying to get out of there as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just stay in there just to see what drama would unfold. That whole bit with Cellino and the court case just stinks if he gave him a massive bribe as well Allegedly. because you know what did, it, what did yeah. they say um, the reason why it was overturned because his recent conviction did not involve conduct that would reasonably be considered to be dishonest based on information <laughs> available to him at the time it's just fraud isn't it let's just be honest that's what they're talking about they've done it the, the most long winded way possible he yeah. was trying to get what they were trying to convict him of fraud where he's from and then they said because that somehow went away I can't imagine how now at this time we can't convict him of fraud 
So we're just going to let him carry on owning the club. If he's if it was rejected in the first instance, and then suddenly a month or two later he's at the helm, then yeah. there's no smoke without fire. But I suppose if he could prove he had the money, then what about dry eyes? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he was part of the Qatar bid for the World Cup, Chilino. Well, you trying to suggest that's not 100% legitimate? Well, yeah, you know, let's have a World Cup in the middle of the season in a desert where they got no stadiums and an atrocious human rights record. Yeah, sounds good to me. But Qatar have such a rich foot football history as well yeah and of course um, Blatter nor Platini got convicted of anything so you know <laughs> you're so cynical yeah it must just be me Cholino later said that had he known the takeover would not proceed smoothly he would not have bought the club and described the football league as really tricky they made trouble at a time when I couldn't walk away and I submitted myself to a trial, a humiliation. I don't want to be here if the Football League don't want me. But who are they anyway? They are acting for what's right. The principles, the ideals. Me, I sort out the fucking problems at Leeds. I prefer to play by the rules, not to cheat. <laughs> I was just going to say, that's probably been translated to something polite. But You're, then <laughs> probably. when he read a bit at the end, no, that's 100% him. Yeah. Well, he went on to describe the fans of Leeds as tired of eating shit and shutting their mouths. <laughs> they accept me with enthusiasm and that gives me a lot of responsibility. I'm the richest man in the world with these fans and I can challenge anyone, everyone. <laughs> He's uh, not backwards and coming forwards, is that Al Massimo? Imagine they're like, their press team trying to put some polite response out there, and he's like, I'm telling you what they are. They're tired of eating the shit. If you, could, if you could just say they're just tired of the disappointment of being in the championship. No, tired of eating shit they are. Look at you, you piece of shit. That's what they're tired of. Then he just like throws his own shit at the press, just to emphasise the point. Well, back to on-the-pitch matters, oh, briefly, boom. only briefly. <laughs> <laughs> Leeds finished the 2013... Leeds are now in the conference. <laughs> <laughs> no one's been paying attention. <laughs> so they finished the 13-14 season in 15th. On the, on the 14th of May, 2014, in an interview with ITV, Cellino questioned <laughs> McDermott's decision to take a holiday. So this was... <laughs> <laughs> this was at the end of the season as well this was like post season but he even proclaimed the club to have no manager and a direct quote who's managing the club Brian where's Brian <laughs> imagine that imagine just being manager of Leeds going on holiday and then just having just having your position questioned having your integrity questioned basically <laughs> just there's no words there are no words whilst he's like simultaneously got a pig hung up upside down in his <laughs> office to like drain it out <laughs> before he expertly butches it <laughs> Well, on the same day as this interview, it was revealed that the release and retain list would be dealt with by Benito Carboni, another random what 90s Italian Premier League player, formerly of uh, Sheffield Wednesday and Derby County. Uh, he, did, he scored some bangers for Sheffield Wednesday, but I mean, I, don't, I just don't know how these people end up in these roles. I'm just, wait, I'm just waiting for Earl Barrett to pop up. Yeah, fucking hell. Cellino went on to say that Carboni would be involved with all football matters, including both the first team and the academy. Cellino's obviously making these decisions now. He's bringing his mates in. He's just running it as his own personal kind of playpen. And they're running it how they want to run it, not taking into account the manager at all. I think the manager is just somebody... It's kind 
kind of like when you're playing championship manager, you sign all the best attacking players, and you're yeah. like, oh, well, we better, better sign a centre back as well. Yeah. He's kind of like, well, we've got to have a manager. We've got to have somebody in place just yeah, to do that. Just to, you know, just to throw out there for the press conferences. Yeah, when we lose, we can just throw him out there. Imagine, like, um, you know, when you, you have to email your manager to ask for a day off, mm. and then you get that automated response <laughs> back from the holiday thing that says, your request has been accepted. And imagine Brian McDermott trying to do that with Chilino, and then he's just like, what the, the fuck? You fucking want a day off during the year? Fuck you all. <laughs> then, like, turns up at the airport and, like, throws his luggage in the bin just before he gets on the plane. Imagine the one to one as well. Oh, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> while he's like punching a chicken in the face at the same time as talking to you the fans are tired of shit I look at you you just look like shit well this news may surprise you then Ad on the 30th of May 2014 McDermott and Leeds parted ways <laughs> I'm shocked with Cellino stating he wanted a fresh approach with a head coach rather than a manager following on from what we're saying there yeah he wanted somebody in a, in a capacity where he could more you could control more manager makes it sound like that person has control while yeah. calling them a head coach is basically you you conduct matters on the training pitch we'll do, we'll do everything else yeah that's the the Serie A model isn't it yeah. you know the, you end up with the players that the, the, the owner gives you and then you have to manage them 100% that statement from Chilino had been heavily edited as well <laughs> definitely he would have slagged the off the high heaven when he got rid of him yeah I think it wasn't it wasn't a match made in heaven those two was it and I think considering that McDermott was sacked straight away on the spot originally when they, when Cellino and company thought they were coming in yeah. and then came back it was never going to work long term no and as soon as there was a chance to sack him yeah he was he was going to be gone yeah he was probably happy to go as well I'd expect at that point point. and hopefully he got a decent payoff as well well I don't remember him doing a lot after Leeds maybe Leeds ruined him maybe went back to Leeds Rhinos just to cover yeah when yeah. Uh, Brian McDermott the yeah. second wanted a holiday they could just bring in another Brian McDermott they're still pretty good Leeds Rhinos to be fair so yeah fair play to him Leeds' next manager first appointment then as head coach officially under the Chilino era was Dave Hockaday does that name mean anything to you? I sounds like a kids TV presenter close Hockaday <laughs> well Hockaday was appointed head coach on a two year contract on the 16th of June 2014 McDermott was probably still on, still on his holiday at this point <laughs> probably still clearing his locker out <laughs> Hockaday's appointment was seen as a surprise and a disappointment from Leeds fans at the time <laughs> that's what you want <laughs> Now, Hockaday, he previously managed Forest Green Rovers in the Conference Premier. With his highest finish being 10th, he had a playing career that included Blackpool, Swindon, Hull, Stoke, Shrewsbury, and then the mighty Sirencester. So Hockaday actually landed the job without even applying for it. What? So, in a quote from the interview with The Mirror, Big Dave stated, I was invited to attend a meeting in London. Before I turned up, I did not know which club was involved, only that they were looking for an English coach with ambition. I had a chat with the president, talking about nothing but football, and in the course of the meeting, they offered me the job. He knows football inside out. His knowledge of the game is phenomenal. I really enjoyed our conversation, and we seem to share the same idea about many things. And yes, we did use the salt and pepper pots as props. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that reference being that apparently during a conversation with Cellino, he got his salt and pepper pots out and discussed football tactics. And yeah, and Cellino's mind was blown at that point. <laughs> when, he, when he brought out the tomato sauce sachet, that, yeah. was, oh, that was it. They hired him on the spot. After he did six more lines of coke, he <laughs> thought, 
this guy is a genius. But I suppose kind of looking at it another way, trying to rationalise it a little bit, because there's not much rationale really in terms of any of this story, but he might have seen something that others hadn't seen. Sometimes, I mean, a big name wouldn't have gone to Leeds at this point based on... Well, I think they'd run out of them, you know. <laughs> And I think they were looking for somebody up and coming, which, you know, can work. If he spoke to if he spoke to Hockaday at this meeting, this very, very strange meeting where they were just inviting <laughs> random, random... Multiple salt and pepper pots. Yeah, exactly. Give him a shot. He could be a young up and comer, and he could he could make strides with Leeds. I bet he doesn't. <laughs> what makes you say that? <laughs> Just the fact I've never fucking heard of him ever since. So Hockaday's first action as Leeds manager was to take the team on a two-week training camp to Italy, and in the first pre-season game, they won sixteen nil against Italian amateur team FC Gudena. After the 16th goal had been scored, Leeds' new goalkeeper Marco Silvestri was allowed to switch sides and play for the opposition until the end of the match. That's just Sunday league football, isn't it? Yeah. Where you just yeah. kind of switch goalkeepers out and you kind of switch yeah. teams and change your bibs. And With all of those games, when you start off, you're like 9, 10 years old and you play like a first division team in a friendly and they just destroy you like 22-0. <laughs> And you think, oh, I'm never going to play football again. But then you do, because there's nothing else to do. Do you think during that conversation between Hockaday and Cellino, all of Hockaday's knowledge just came from, like, his Sunday five-a-side league? I like to think he, he brought salt and pepper pots with him to the side <laughs> of the pitch and just, like, randomly moved them around to explain to the players what he wanted to happen. And why it's 16-0 as well? Like, this all, the, the damage is already done at that point. <laughs> Although know. well, it made the goalkeeper look good because if it was after the 16th goal and yeah. then they didn't concede any more goals, yeah. then like he's the, the greatest player on the pitch <laughs> when he's done absolutely nothing all game. Going into the 2014-2015 season, Leeds lost the first game of the season under Hockaday two 0 away to Millwall. 16 0 <laughs> It came back to bite him in the arse. No players changed sides in that match. No, unfortunately for Leeds. After a 4-1 loss to Watford, it was reported that Cholino had decided to sack Hockaday. <laughs> however, however, Cholino did have a change of heart and decided to blame himself for Leeds' poor start to the season. So he's um, reflecting. He's reflecting on how he's been as an owner, as a chairman so far. And he said, OK, maybe all this unrest, maybe, maybe me being an absolute fucking lunatic... <laughs> is affecting Hockaday and affecting the team. Maybe it was, um, you know, that scene in The Godfather when it's his daughter's wedding and she's like, you can't kill anyone on, on my wedding day and that guy comes in to see him and he's going to get him iced. But <laughs> Your request is not to be said. Yeah, he's like, you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding, Hockaday, you lose 4-1 after the salt and pepper magnificence. <laughs> this is what you give to me. But then he give him that little, you know, luckily for you, my daughter's getting married today, so I'll just let you manage away to Blackpool. On the 28th of August, 2014, <laughs> Hockaday and not just him, but his assistant Junior Lewis were sacked. So this was after 70 days in charge. Bye-bye, Dave. Uh, Who took charge next? Fuck it's a, no. <laughs> well, it's a name we're actually very familiar with. Neil Redford, again, took caretaker charge on the 29th of August, 2014. Good old Neil. But this time, he had to make way for Slovenian Darko Milanic, previously at Austrian team Sturm Graz. So this was on the 22nd of September 2014, Milanic was appointed. Blink and you'll miss it. Milanic was sacked after 32 days following a 2-1 loss to Wolves on the 25th of October 2014. 
when researching this, you think it can't get any worse. You thinking you kind of you got all the comedic aspects out of the situation yeah. now. It can't. It literally is becoming a parody of itself <laughs> now from here. <laughs> Just never heard of any of these people, and Milanic sounds like some kind of Serbian terrorist. <laughs> that was on some kind of operation and Chilino bumped into him and he was like uh, do you know about salt and pepper and he was like da and then he just brought him over and gave him a job but then like instantly hates people after like the first week he's like the kind of guy that shows you around the office but then he's like something odd about that guy I don't know and then a week later he's like I'm gonna fucking sack him so Neil Redfern was again put in charge Jesus Christ I know flogging him to death Redfern was again put in charge on the 1st of November 2000 2014, but this time was given a 12-month contract by Cellino with yes. the option of a further 12 months with a clause that would see Neil return to the academy if he was to leave his role as head coach. Seems a decent enough deal there for Neil because there's a good chance he wasn't going to see out that 12 months as, yeah. as head coach. So with, with the previous history, but you know th- this is surely it for Neil. This is his moment. He's been waiting all yep. this time. Definitely, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah. Well, he become the he'd become the bride. Yeah. Ultimately, Jolino had proposed, and he said yes. I I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> On the second of April, two thousand and fifteen. Redfern's assistant Steve Thompson was suspended for an internal matter by lead sporting director Nicola Salerno, with Redfern saying he was kept in the dark regarding the reason for Thompson's suspension. I did look into this to find out if I could find any reason why he was suspended, but I couldn't find any information. I also reached out to Thompson's people (laughs) to see if they would divulge this to a startup podcast. No one has responded. So on the 2nd of April, a story emerged that Redfern had, had been put under pressure not to include top scorer Mirko Antonucci because his contract featured a clause for an extra year should he score 12 goals in his first season. So Antonucci's agent confirmed that this clause was correct, but this was later denied by Salerno that any decision to omit Antonucci from any squad was entirely down to Redfern. Based on what we've heard so far, I, I kind of believe... Redfin. It's just more like, utter madness. Like, just <laughs> nobody knows what the hell is going on from week to week. On the 9th of April 2015, after rumoured Premier League interest in Alex Mowat, Lewis Cook, Charlie Taylor, and Sam Byram, Redfin challenged the Leeds board. I mean, that's not going to end well, is it? (laughs) (laughs) To keep hold of its homegrown talent. On the 18th of April, purely coincidentally, six of Cellino's sign-ins, so that's Mirko Antonucci, Giuseppe Belushi, Soliman Ducara, Dario Del Fabro, (laughs) Marco Silvestri and Ed Cacciani were controversially pulled out of the squad with an injury a day before a 2-1 loss to Charlton. So, again, I'm sure that was just coincidentally. I'm sure that wasn't... Any response to Redfern's challenge to the board? Dario Del Fabro. Household names. What the fuck? In the Chilino household. Yeah, just... How do you even know where to start with them as your players? Like Looking at those names, it was a mishmash of foreign players came into the club. As well as everything going on off the field, on the field, I, don't, I think they were struggling to find a, an identity, which, which is, again, is understandable based on what was going on off the yeah. field. But a lot of these players were Chilino's players as well, with Redfern having no input. And if he's being, allegedly, being told that he can't play players for certain reasons because of clauses in contracts, then he's got he's got one arm tied behind his back. So that season, the, four, the 2014-2015 season, Leeds finished 15th. Again, they're not threatening the playoffs at all. On the 14th of May, 
me. So at the end of the season, Cellino carried out a press conference unveiling Adam Pearson as the club's executive director to work directly alongside Cellino. In the same press conference, Cellino refused to reveal the future of Neil Redfern when asked. Two days later, on the 16th of May 2015, in an interview with the Sunday Mirror, Cellino described Redfern as weak and a, <laughs> and, and a baby. <laughs> Not exactly a gl- gl- not exactly described in glowing terms there. <laughs> you would never get anything out of chairman nowadays. Like, look at all all the chairman, the Glazers, FSG at Liverpool. I know. Even the the new owners at Newcastle now. You know, you, you never know. get any quotes from any of them. There's always three or four people in 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 between them that, that you'll barely get anything out of. But this guy's just walking up to the press and just saying whatever he wants. Like. <laughs> And it's not even like anything seems to be getting leaked from the dressing room either. It's all him saying yeah. it. So oh, 100%, yeah. <laughs> it's not, you don't even have to be like a five-star investigative journalist or have like somebody on the inside of the club. No. He's literally just going into the press and just saying all these things. <laughs> and then like when the people aren't there as well. So they can't even defend themselves. <laughs> like it just wanders over to the press. Oh, by the way, uh, Neil Redfern is a weak and a baby. <laughs> he like spits on the floor and walks off. As the paper boy delivers the uh, the Yorkshire Post through Redfern's door, his wife picks up the paper. Yeah. Oh, let's have a look at that, love. Oh, there's no news in it today, love. Yeah, yeah. Probably, probably give it a miss, Neil. Yeah, I'll just put it straight in the bin. <laughs> On the 20th of May 2015, Leeds announced, again, another 90s Premier League... Legend is probably too strong a term, but let's just say striker. Juve Rosler Ro- yeah. was appointed as the new head coach. Now, not too unusual because we were all expecting Redfern to get the sack based on what we've just encountered yeah. there. But So Rosler was hired, thus ending Redfern's time as head coach. But no announcement was made regarding his departure. There was just a case of work it out for yourself, Neil. So Adam Pearson then went on to say that Redfern had been offered back his role at the academy. However, a few months later, on the 16th of July 2015, Redfern resigned from his role as academy director. I'm sure being called weak and a baby. <laughs> and, well, saying that, the fact he he allowed himself to go back there. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he I is mean, a bit of a sucker for the punishment, isn't he? Yeah. Like he's, he's been caretaker three times. He finally gets the role. Doesn't really do anything brilliant, but the club's a mess at the time, and then gets called a baby <laughs> by the owner, and then he's like, "Oh, I've gone back and managed the kids." And then he's like, "Oh yeah, right." And he expects to have any authority. He expects to have his authority respected. Yeah, and these are like you know, 15, 16 year olds as well, so they can have no respect, like you said, for him whatsoever. Like, why don't you just deck him, Neil? Because <laughs> oh, I just thought I'd come back anyway. <laughs> Then starts crying like a baby in the corner. <laughs> Cellino comes out. Ah, I fucking told you. Look, there he is. Well, managers or head coaches, they weren't the only people who were in danger of being criticised by Cellino. On the 22nd of <laughs> no September... No one is safe from Massimo. And on the 22nd of September, 2015, Sam Byram was the target of Cellino's wrath. Cellino revealed he was deeply offended and hurt that Byram had not signed a new contract at Leeds United. The Yorkshire Evening Post reported that the contract offer from Chilino to Byram was actually a reduction on his existing wage. What? So he's basically offered him less money and said, yeah. oh, I can't believe he's not safe for his <laughs> love, love of the club. Who the <laughs> fuck is signing that? <laughs> less money. I'm an absolute batshit chairman. <laughs> 
I'm liable to call you a baby, <laughs> a tosser at any press conference. But just sign it anyway, because that's what I want. This has surprised you to know that Rossler did not last long as head coach. No. He was sacked on the 19th of October 2015 with a record of just two wins in 12 games, leaving Leeds 18th in the championship. <laughs> His successor was Steve Evans formerly of Rotherham, who was announced as the new head coach on the same day. I, I have literally lost count now. <laughs> I, I don't even know how it is anymore. Again, I have as well. I think uh, there, were, there weren't many people left they could hire, really, at this no. point. They'd, got, they'd gone through Cellino's roller deck. Do you reckon that there was a part of Cellino after he got rid of the last guy that was like, could they put Neil in one more time? That's <laughs> 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 like the ultimate bitch that Neil Redfern is. He, he probably would have said yes. <laughs> I'd do anything for you, Master Boy. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to sack me this time, are you? No, Neil. I am a baby. I'm your baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Oh, wee, wee, wee. Evan, so Evans was appointed on the 19th of October. 2015. On the same day, it was announced by the Football League that Cellino had been disqualified as Leeds United owner for a year. (laughs) (laughs) The second time he had been banned by the Football League, this time for an issue regarding Italian tax legislation, thus failing the Football League's owner and director's test. (laughs) On the pitch, Evans guided Leeds to a 13th place finished in the 15-16 season. An improvement on the pitch, likely. Like anyone gives a shit at this time yeah. what's actually happening on the pitch. Tolino doesn't like improvements. Exactly. I mean, if you're not getting promoted or you're not getting relegated, it yeah. doesn't matter, does it, in <laughs> no. terms of uh, Leeds on nothing the pitch. To him. Now, with speculation, if Evans would be retained as head coach for the 16-17 season, on the 18th of April 2016, in Cellino's interview with the Daily Telegraph, he cast doubt on head coach Steve Evans' long-term prospect. He advised he felt Evans talks too much and that (laughs) Evans had to learn to shut his mouth. (laughs) I mean, so he described Redfern as weak and a baby. Evans talks too much, had to shut his mouth. Does not give a fuck, does he? Like, I think he's awesome. I'd have loved to have been a Leeds fan at this particular time just to see what he was going to do. I mean, I'd have hated it because my club was being destroyed, but oh, the, the guy's hilarious. And why do uh, this thing? All these, all these people come in as head coach thinking they can turn it around, thinking they can take the Leeds to the promised yeah. land. And all of this with Chilina was all very, very public. You would think they would be advised better by their agents, really. Because no one goes, at this point, no one is going into Leeds and coming out of Leeds with this stock any higher than when they came in. uh, Yeah, I don't even remember anyone doing anything, apart from Warnock, who, like, stayed quite high profile. Warnock had credit credit in the bank, didn't he, with his with a lot of his previous yeah. jobs, and he was always going to find work in the football yeah, league he, and have he a managed decent career in the, in the Premier League. Out the Premier League after this, but the others, yeah, they just destroyed the career. Well, on the 9th of May 2016, Chilina was acquitted on appeal for his tax evasion conviction, which he was handed after failing to pay VAT on a Range Rover imported from the USA into Italy. <laughs> 
It's full of cocaine. So despite being acquitted of tax evasion and the resulting removal of the Football League disqualification on the 13th of May... And the Range Rover. (laughs) On the 13th of May 2016, Cellino revealed in an exclusive interview with the Times that that he had regretted buying the club (laughs) and he would now sell the club if he received the right offer. Again, keeping his cards close to his chest again. Do you reckon he does like a a kind of semi-serious interview like that and they're like, call someone a prick at the end. Someone walks past and he's like, ah, Steve, you, you fucking asshole. And they're like, yeah. It's like every time he gets a thought in his head, he's like, right, oh, he's like, he wakes up, oh, I'm in a foul mood this morning. Yeah. Right, call the papers. Instead yeah. of just like a normal person <laughs> yeah. and just like, <laughs> and just, you know, just having a moan, having yeah. a moan to the missus. He's just literally, instead of doing that, he's just rung up every newspaper <laughs> and said, I've got to tell him every thought is in my, that's in, every negative thought is in my head. <laughs> he's got all the has to go on record all the newspaper headlines are like in his kitchen just on the walls <laughs> and he's like ah that was a good day <laughs> when I called the Redfern a baby <laughs> making a poached egg <laughs> yeah good time <laughs> After the final game of the 2015-2016 season, Evans said in an interview that he had a gut feeling his contract would not be renewed by Cellino. I mean, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah. A gut feeling after in, after he's gone on record of saying that he needs to shut his mouth. That's more than a gut feeling that you think you're going to get sacked, really, the, when your owner's saying that. And the fact that I can't even remember now how many people have been sacked already. <laughs> it's not looking good, is it? Well, just to inspire Evans even more in terms of his long-term prospects as the Mm. Leeds United manager oh head coach sorry on the 23rd of May 2016 it was revealed that MK Don's manager Carl Robinson had turned down the offer to become head coach at Leeds somebody with a bit of sense at last (laughs) on the 27th of May 2016 Cellino approached Bristol Rovers manager at the time Daryl Clark but was also turned down. Despite this, Evan said he would still say yes to, Ch- to Cellino if he asked him to stay on as head coach. Have a bit of pride, didn't yeah, they? It's, yeah, just, just walk away and end your career like all the others did. <laughs> this did not happen, as Cellino sacked Evan <laughs> on the 31st of May. <laughs> just got the sacking, and even though he could have quite easily just come to some kind of mutual agreement. Well, he sacked him on the 31st of May 2016, to become the sixth manager sacked in two years. Oh, fucking hell. That's that, got to be some kind of record. I'll have to look into that to see if that is some type of record. Six in two years. There can't be many clubs that have achieved that. So 2016-2017, the new man appointed as head coach was Gary Monk. Mm. Had a semi-successful time as manager of Swansea. Yep. He was appointed on the 2nd of June 2016 on a one-year rolling contract. On the 8th of September... 2016, Cellino's Eleonora Sports Limited became Leeds United's 100% share owners after buying the 15% shares of minority owner Gulf Finance House, thus becoming Leeds' sole majority shareholder. Meanwhile, on the pitch, after a slow start to the season, Leeds had managed to get themselves into the playoff positions going into the new year of 2017. Chilino's 100% owner, but results are improving. They're getting into the playoffs, or they're in the playoff position. Yeah. So things are things are looking up slightly. Definitely, yeah. I mean, Gary Monk, finally somebody that people have heard of. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, not so sure about the uh, how good a news it was that Chilino was now the 100% owner of Leeds. But I suppose it's better than other people being involved. But he wasn't 100% owner for long. 
On the 4th of January 2017, Andrea Radrizzani purchased a 50% stake from Cellino for Leeds United. Do you, do you think he was? He thought he said a £50 stake? <laughs> and then Cellino was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sounds good. And like turned up with it in one of those like frozen trays, but then realised that he'd given half the, half the club away. I've got no doubt at all that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and then Radrizzani went on a 10-minute tirade of abuse about it why are you not buying my stakes Gianluca Festa turns up (laughs) (laughs) he's he's now his official driver and shoe bufferer he's translating for Red Red Ritani Neil Redfern had to come down to form a kind of crude footstool for him (laughs) Neil get on the floor like a bitch you are he brought in, um, <laughs> who's the other guy he told to shut up? Evans. Evans, he brought him in just to tell him to shut up and then leave again. <laughs> Where we left off there on the pitch matters, Leeds are in a, <laughs> if you can remember that far back. So Leeds are in a playoff position. However, at the end of the 2016-2017 season, <clears throat> once again, had to settle for a spot outside of the playoffs, finishing seventh following a massive loss of form. So in that season, Leeds were 11 points clear of seventh, after a 2-0 win over Brighton on the 19th of March 2017. However, an awful run in their final eight games meant they missed out on the playoffs. But an even bigger story was going on at boardroom level, as on the 23rd of May 2017, Andrea Radrizzani announced the 100% buyout of Leeds United, buying the remaining 50% shares from previous co-owner Massimo Cellino, with Radrizzani taking full ownership of the club. Cellino issued a statement on the club website, of course he did, thanking the fans and said if you can survive working with me you can survive anything <laughs> this is true I mean a true a true words haven't have never been spoken there yeah was there anyone that survived working with him did Gianluca Festa even survive working with him I don't know no he's probably chopped up in different suitcases <laughs> that he dropped across Europe as he was flying back to Italy I mean, Neil Redfern didn't even survive and he was at no. Leeds since 1933. He's 100% spot on. Um, yeah, that, that's what he's like. He's just pure hilarity, this guy. Like, I would have wanted him to stay there for years. I think we all did, really. I think yeah. even the Le- even the Leeds fans, I bet there was one or two that kind of thought, well, we could be in the Premier League. We could be kind of finishing mid-table. We could, you know, we could have a modicum of success, go on a cup run. But would they really be as fun of, as the days of Cellino as owner, in the Championship, hiring and firing, head coaches at will? Yeah. Talking to the press every 10 minutes, every little thought that went went around in his head. Talking absolute smack about everyone. I wonder if he's on Twitter, Cholino. Oh, God, probably. He must be. We'll have to uh, have to look into that. He'll probably reply to absolutely everyone <laughs> as well. He's that insane. That Brian467825 just called me a twonk. And he'd be like, you fucking motherfucker. <laughs> Books a flight to Bristol immediately to go and sort him out. Well, we've come to the end of the Cholino era. Damn it. Just before we leave, I wanted to just to give a, a couple of a couple of snippets just before we leave. Cholino, he has a deep suspicion of the number 17, which in Italian culture is considered unlucky. At Cagliari Stadium, Cellino had the number 17 removed from seats and replaced with 16B. <laughs> Just more madness. Leeds actually retired the number 17 shirt due to superstitious reasons for Cellino. Up until June 2014, the last occupant of the shirt had been Michael Brown. It's since been unretired and the last player to wear that squad number was Helder Costa. Cellino also plays guitar in the cover band Morelos. On the 3rd of May 2014, at Leeds's annual end of season awards, Cellino joined the band The Pigeon Detectives on lead guitar for a cover version of Jimi Hendrix 
Hendrix's song Hey Joe <laughs> everyone had to say that it was amazing <laughs> on pain of death <laughs> so after the takeover of Leeds by Rad Richani two days earlier and the day before Leeds was set to activate a one year contract extension on Gary Monk Monk resigned as Leeds head coach with Rad Richani stating it was a complete shock was that anything to do with Cellino do you reckon do you reckon um, I reckon it was, he was devastated he was gone and he didn't get the chance to be sacked by him and he was like what the fuck am I even doing here anymore I'm just a normal manager now with a normal owner boring as fuck he's left I mean you would think things would calm down now with Cellino Cellino's gone Rad Rizzani, a reasonable businessman at the helm we'll see how things go on the 15th of June 2017 a guy called Thomas Christensen was hired previously of Apoel in Cyprus he was announced as the new head coach Christensen was sacked on the 4th of February 2018 after a poor run of results with Leeds 10th in the table. Business as usual. <laughs> he done really well at Apoel as well. I think at that time they got to the quarter-final of the Champions League. He was highly regarded, wasn't he? I yeah. think a few clubs were after him. But... They only narrowly lost to Real Madrid, I think. They, they put out some big teams as well. And, you know, their, their yearly budget was about €12. Euros. You know, they had no money, Apoel. And yeah, so I suppose you could see why he was hired. But, I mean, what was that? Less than a month? So he lasted from no June to February oh so he, June yeah oh, I, I so June so January. no no so he was, he was hiding yeah, the June and six seven months yeah so I mean 10th in the table again I wouldn't say that was awful actually that's assassin again <laughs> So 10th in the table, again, how many times you see in the championship where teams kind of flounder for most of the season mm. and then they make a late dash towards the playoffs? Yeah, oh yeah, all the time. I mean, that's not out of the realms of possibility of that happening, but he wasn't, do- he wasn't doing it for the new owners, so no. he was for the chopping block. The next appointment, the next man at the helm, was, was a guy called Paul Heckenbottom, who was appointed on the 6th of February 2018 on an 18-month contract. So Heckenbottom was highly rated, having had a successful spell at Barnsley between 2015 to 2018, which included guiding Barnsley to the promotion to the championship in 2016. So with Heckenbottom in charge, Leeds finished 13th in the 2017-2018 season, but the axe was wielded once again on the 1st of June 2018 to be replaced by Marcelo Bielsa. So he was appointed on the 1st of June 2018, signing a two-year contract with the option of a third year. In doing so, he became the highest paid manager in Leeds United history. So, had you heard of Bielsa, Ad, at this time? What were I, your thoughts? I hadn't, personally, but then all these big managers come out of the woodwork immediately on Sky Sports News and... In South America, he's like some kind of football god over there. But I think he was manager of Chile. Yes. Um, that's all yes, I all I really knew about him at the time. And I don't remember Chile making any waves in the Copper America or anything. But Well, he has had quite a colourful management career. His appointment was seen as big news. El Loco, the crazy one, as he's, um, is his nickname. Described by Pep Guardiola as the most well-prepared manager I've ever seen in my life. And described by Mauricio Pochettino as my football father. So he's had a journeyed managerial career. He's managed such, such teams as Argentina, Chile, Athletic Bilbao, Marseille, Lille and Lazio. Although saying he managed Lazio is a bit of a stretch as he was appointed the manager of the Italian Serie A club on the 5th of July 2016 but lasted an extraordinary two days prompting Lazio to take legal action against Bielsa for breach of contract, suing him for £50 million. Bielsa later explained that the club had been unable to recruit the players he had wanted by the deadline he had given to the club, and he did not feel his needs would be supported during the transfer window. I mean, two days. Two days. (laughs) 
What the hell? Something else has gone on there. Something bizarre has happened there, isn't it? Yeah, I think he is. He's very, he's very set in his ways, and I don't know if things were agreed pre-contract that they've mm. since reneged on. That's a hell of a range of clubs he's been at, though. That is a hell of a range of clubs. Like you say, there's international management there. There's the French league, the Italian league, and now, you, now he was trying his hand in England. Yeah, and he was famed for his Bielsa bucket as well <laughs> that we'd sit on during matches. Yeah. So going into the new season, there was optimism. Bielsa's Leeds started the season brilliantly, with Bielsa becoming the first Leeds manager ever, ever, to win their first four games after being appointed. <laughs> four games doesn't seem that much. There it, must have been someone before that had won four games in a row. but It, does, it doesn't seem a lot, does it, no. at all? You'd think kind of in the history of Leeds, and they've had some very successful yeah, teams like as well. Yeah, title-winning teams, and yeah, no one to have won the first fours. Saying that, yeah, but I suppose it depends on kind of the turnaround of manage. Well... <laughs> Back in those times, I mean, obviously, there's been a turnaround of managers yeah. that we've covered, but I mean, kind of back in Some those days. Some people didn't even last four games. Well, Leeds were sitting pretty at the top of the championship at, the, at exactly the halfway point of the season. So, some controversy occurred in the pre match build up before a game against Frank Lampard's Derby County, as you had to refer to them as the time, Frank Lampard's <laughs> Derby County, yeah, yeah. on the 11th of January 2019. Bielsa admitted in the build up to the game that he had sent a spy to Derby's training ground after reports emerged in the press that a man was spotted the previous day outside the Derby training ground. <laughs> I mean, this was big news at the time, it was It was unbelievable news, yeah, because the, the fact was, when they grabbed this guy, he had a proper spy trench coat, bolt cutters, <laughs> binoculars. It was like, you know, whoever had sent him there, he'd, he'd looked up how to spy on something from the 1970s, <laughs> like Pink Panther films, and just gone like 100% commitment to it. Chilino wouldn't be happy though, would he? Because that would be taking a spotlight from Chilino. Yeah, exactly. If, uh, yeah, he'd it, call all, all spies cowards and bitches. <laughs> yeah, and then he'd be like, I would just have walked in the middle of the training ground and said, I'm going to watch the session <laughs> and there's fuck all you can do about it, Frank. Christine Blakely isn't even that fit and you married her, <laughs> you mug. Spurs manager at the time, Maurizio Pochettino, described the incident as not a big deal and commonplace in Argentina. So I suppose there's different cultures and different leagues. I suppose in England, it's always kind of seen as kind of to work within the confines of fair play. Mm. And I suppose this was seen as unsportsmanlike. Yeah, there was a lot of debate as well, wasn't there, as to whether the guy was actually just stood on a public road or and happened to find a place where he could look over. So was it actually that bad? But With a pair of bolt cutters in his hand. Yeah, I think the fact that he had snipped a fence and got into that part of the ground probably was a bit out of order, yeah. So on the 15th of January, the EFL announced they, they would be investigating the incident. <laughs> but ultimately, in the match between Leeds and Derby, Leeds actually beat Derby 2-0. It worked. Yeah, it did, and yeah, they um, did all the celebrations, didn't they, with the goggles and that, and <laughs> yeah. took the piss out of them, yeah, in, you know, in typical Leeds fashion. With intense media scrutiny on what was coined as Spygate in the media, yeah. defi- dividing opinion worldwide, on the 16th of January 2019, Bielsa announced a press briefing where he gave a detailed analysis of his research on a PowerPoint presentation to the gathered media and journalists. <laughs> 
yeah, I remember that. Detail in his meticulousness, thoroughness, and preparation over his opponents. Do you remember that? It was the the ultimate shock thing to happen at that press conference there was a press oh. conference he comes out in front of this powerpoint screen and we think well that's just there for when they do training whatever <laughs> surely he's just gonna get his translator that he pretends that he can't speak english to use <laughs> and says um you know oh, i deeply regret what happened i'll never do it again that's what everybody's expecting but oh no not yeah, only does he admit that that he asked it to be done but then says i've done it to every team in the league he owned it didn't he <laughs> went through with the most detailed powerpoint <laughs> thing you've ever seen he was like the only person that did all the powerpoint courses so he could use it to its 100 percent maximum he had he had unbelievable stats it was incredible although i remember when frank lampard carried out a press conference shortly after when he was asked about that he was like well we all do our research yeah no but seriously (laughs) (laughs) all that lampard's research was literally just loaning like half of the chelsea yeah yeah. youngsters of which there was only a pool of 400 players. <laughs> the journalists in attendance described this as, as a coaching masterclass and genius. The Spygate saga was resolved on the 18th of February when Leeds were fined £200,000 by the EFL for a, breach of, for a breach of a portion of Rule 3.4 of EFL regulations. The EFL announced a new rule as a result that teams could now, could now not watch opposition training up to 72 hours before a game and then it was subsequently revealed by Bielsa that he had paid £200,000 fine mm. in full out of his own pocket yeah I remember I remember that yeah he did pay it himself to be fair yeah and he was he was like that as well wasn't he he put himself out there and he had he had actual principles that Chile did not have as an owner he definitely had he did have character about him didn't he yeah and I think that um, that endeared him even more to the Leeds fans then. I think this whole story properly did endear him to the Leeds fans, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, they they like the kind of anti-hero there, didn't they? Yeah, he was, he was a character. He, it was his actions were to help, to try and help them to win a game of football. Yeah. To, prog- to progress. So, I mean, it wasn't like he did anything bad, like, off the pitch, as it were. It was all to do with, with winning a game of football. And in South America, they do employ the dark arts. I think in England, it's frowned upon more. But, you know, you win you win how you win. Technically, I suppose you could say it was within the rules at that point. Because if they, if they then had to create a new rule, saying that training couldn't be watched, then, you know, fair play. If he does it afterwards, he's breaking the rules. But at this moment in time, it was just seen as unsportsmanlike. Yeah. And against the uh, the principles of the game. More controversy followed on the 28th of April 2019. So this was in Leeds' penultimate match of the season against Aston Villa. The score was 0-0. Aston Villa's Jonathan Khadija went down injured. The majority of the players switched off as they were expecting Leeds to kick the ball out of play so Khadija could be treated. Leeds played on with Tyler Roberts passing the ball to Matthias Click, who subsequently cut inside, found the bottom corner of the net and scored, which sparked pandemonium amongst the players. Players, with Villa's Conor Horahan, Ahmed Al Mohamedi, Neil Taylor, and Leeds Patrick Bamford caught up in the fracas. Yeah, I remember it. I think I watched the. I think it was on live at the time, and um, yeah, just utter madness because the game was kind of meandering away. And it's one of those un- unwritten rules, isn't it, with football? You grow up with it when you're a kid. Someone kicks the ball out because somebody's injured. You give them the ball back, even if if you're losing. It's just what's done. And then you know, even though there was there was the actual rule was the referee's the only one that can stop the game. You know, if somebody's legitimately injured, then you should stop the game, and then the other team should give you the ball back. And that's just how it goes. And for them to not only not stop the game, but they go down the other end and score. And in that fight or fracas, like you said, I always remember that because Banford 
literally just dived on the floor, oh, didn't he? Yeah. And got um, the the Villa players sent off. Yeah, he didn't cover himself in glory. No. Harvard. And I'm thinking back quite a few years now, probably 10, 50, well, maybe even 20 years ago. I think it was in the FA Cup between Arsenal and Sheffield United. Oh, yeah. I think it was Sheffield United put the ball out of yeah. play. And I think it was Carnu, or the ball was from yeah. Carnu. And instead of just passing it back to the goal, to yeah. Sheffield United's goalkeeper, he ran towards the goal. I think he squared it to, yeah. might be something like Ray Parler. I think it was Mark Hover. Mark Overmars oh, yeah. even yeah very well could have been and didn't that game actually get replayed yeah no? exactly yeah, yeah that got replayed and again it, it was more on a kind of the sportsmanship level yeah, as opposed I, I to a rule break it wasn't an actual rule was it but I think Steve Bruce was so wound up about it one of his many managerial stints and I think Wenger was like at the time was kind of like yeah we probably shouldn't have done that yeah they actually got replayed I remember that they replayed the game didn't they Bielsa's response in light of this was allow Villa to score an unchallenged goal Bielsa can be seen shouting give the goal give the goal from the touchline then from the restart Albert Adoma pretty much walked the ball into the net unchallenged well unchallenged by most of the team yeah. apart yeah. from Pontus Janssen who gave chase and actually nearly dispossessed the Aston Villa striker before he put it in the net he, he wasn't happy about it I remember he did try and stop him and he also was furious on the touchline at the time as well before they'd like agreed to let them walk it in he was 100% adamant he wanted them to give Villa a goal basically imagine he had stopped that goal oh, I think he would have just full on gone on there and punched him like. <laughs> check this bucket at him yeah exactly Yeah, he was actually tamping Bielsa yeah. so that particular game remained one each and it actually put the second automatic promotion spot mathematically out of reach for Leeds and saw them enter the playoffs as a result of this Bielsa and his Leeds team were subsequently awarded the 2019 FIFA Fair Play Award <laughs> on the 23rd of September 2019 for their actions during the game but when they when they made that award up they never expected Leeds United to win it one day <laughs> no I know the whole football world was absolutely shocked that <laughs> yeah. the words Fair Play and Leeds came imagine, together imagine Cellino just like broke something in half <laughs> as soon as he realised what had happened like he reads it in the Gazzetta della Sport back in Italy like, and he had like a like a, a, a whole deer brought in alive <laughs> and then just punched it to death in front of his son kicking Neil Redfern in the corner yeah <laughs> fuck is this shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chilino would have been disappointed because that wasn't really his his way and that wasn't the legacy that he expected to leave <laughs> no, behind at Leeds. Chilino would have been like cheering Leeds on to get three more goals, <laughs> illegitimate goals that they didn't deserve and then like flicking the Vs at John Terry on the Villa bench. So Leeds had won one award for that season. However, <laughs> in the league table, they finished third in the championship. So once again, mm. the playoffs. Interestingly, they came up against Frank Lampard's Derby County in the semi-finals. Having earlier in the season being at the centre of the Spygate controversy <laughs> covered earlier it was written in the stars yeah of course yeah yeah, they were they were two really really good games as well. I remember them. But over the two legs, Leeds came up short as Derby went through to the final four three on aggregate mm. over the two legs, confining Leeds to another season in the Championship. <laughs> Just don't get on with the playoffs, do they? There was a theory coined by journalists called Bielsa burnout, meaning that his teams tire in the second half of the season due to the demanding training sessions and the relentless energy expended during matches. They were constantly on the go, the high press. They never seen the rest during matches at 100 mile an hour from minute 1 to minute 90 which is ironic because Bielsa looks about 20 stone overweight all the time as well <laughs> 
Despite failure to gain promotion, Bielsa was hugely popular amongst the Leeds United supporters, mm. being seen as a man of the people. He lived in a one-bed flat in Leeds, he mm. travelled to and from training by foot, and was often seen shopping in Morrison's. <laughs> and, and of course, there was his famous blue Bielsa bucket that he sat on during matches in the technical area, as opposed to on the comfortable seating in the dugout. He was a character, Ad. Oh yeah, 100%, yeah. And like you said, definitely, he was down to earth, you know, considering what a, a super star he was in South America particularly and big clubs had already managed that yeah I heard lots of different stories of people that live near him in that in that, that apartment block and they said he'd always stop and, and talk to them which you know apparently he can't talk English I don't know how that works but you know never mind about that yeah <laughs> And his, and his translator every time he was asked a question yeah. if he asked a question Bielsa would give like a five minute answer He'd like how do you think you played today Bielsa would give a five minute answer yeah. and then the, the translator would just be like yeah we played well yeah it's so good do you reckon he had to, that translator had to like live with him as well I hope I like to think so had to foral him to Morrison's to do his weekly shop and she said it's £38.50 <laughs> that's, that's a sitcom waiting to happen yeah Bielsa's at the bus stop with his bucket just like waiting for the bus to turn well if they needed a translator they had somebody already there in Gianluca Festa so I don't know why he yeah, was translating he's, he's un- <laughs> undoubtedly still there to, going into the next season the 2019-20 season Bielsa and Leeds jointly exercised the option on Bielsa's contract to continue for, for another year so Leeds once again started the season very well ending the year on top of the league following a 5-4 victory away to Birmingham City leaving them top on the 29th of December 2019 after the English professional football season was paused in March 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, mm. the season resumed in June 2020 under Bielsa. The Leeds secured promotion at last to the Premier League on the 17th of July 2020 with two matches remaining of the season and also became the champions of the 2019-2020 season, finishing 10 points ahead of second place West Bromwich Albion. On the 18th of July, after Bielsa had delivered promotion, a street in Leeds city centre was renamed Marcelo Bielsa Way. After the achievement of being crowned champions of the championship and guiding Leeds to the Premier League after a 16-year absence, on the 27th of July 2020, Bielsa was named the LMA Championship Manager of the Year 2020. On the 31st of July of that year, Bielsa won the Championship Manager of the Month Award for July. On the 11th of September 2020, Bielsa signed a new contract to stay at Leeds for the forthcoming 2020-2021 Premier League season. They finally did it. There you are, yeah, 16 years in in the proper wilderness as well and the turmoil, the destruction of the club, the uh, endless amount of managers, <laughs> players that not many of us had heard of at the time. And- Chilino. Yeah, the the raffing rain that was Chilino and yeah, to get back to the Premier League, holy moly, what an achievement. Five years out of the Premier League, you would have thought, well, that, that was way too long. Yeah. You know, you'd think they would kind of, after five, six years, they would have got back up, but to suffer another relegation yeah. and then come back up again. And the club just been a laughing stock from week to week as well. It was like something mad happened and then something even madder would happen <laughs> immediately the week after. And, you know, people would, like, like, like we said halfway through, the football wasn't really relevant halfway through yeah what the hell is going on backstage at Leeds that's what we want to know about and there were bits and pieces that I remembered but there were other parts where I thought surely this was some type of fan fiction yeah it were, It just got crazier and crazier and with Cellino's antics 
he just he just sounds like a, a cartoon character or somebody <laughs> from like a, a Netflix series just from yeah. the Sopranos yeah yeah he could have easily been in the Sopranos yeah he might have been too violent for the Sopranos to be honest. <laughs> but looking back there is there's something strangely likeable about him yeah yeah that, that's what I mean I kind of had this big affinity with him while, while we were going through it and knowing a bit about him from before and yeah you kind of, I said I just look forward to see what he was going to do next because it would it would undoubtedly be something completely mad ultimately all's well that ends well at the time at the time of recording Leeds are still currently in the Premier League they are yeah Bielsa has gone unfortunately he has yeah but we won't cover that maybe we'll save that for another time that is the story of Leeds's fall and eventual rise back up to the Premier League took them as we said there a lot longer than, than they anticipated it did though create a hell of a story and mm-hmm. those final few seasons under Bielsa are covered in the six part Amazon Prime documentary Take Us Home which is well worth a watch it is yeah although it's less funny than our podcast yeah definitely and well, less well produced as well <laughs> yeah. that'll do it for us today once again if you've enjoyed what you've listened to please leave us a five star review on whichever platform you listen to your podcast that would really help us out follow us on Instagram at LTDR Podcast. We'll be back very soon with a new episode, so keep a lookout on social media for more information. But thank you once again from, from me, Adam Humphreys. We'll see you next time. And Ad, see you soon. Catch you next time. See you guys. <laughs>